Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Lord, as we ponder these words again this morning, we ask that you would speak to us through your Spirit. Teach us, guide us, encourage us, challenge us. We, your children, are listening to hear your voice. We thank you and we praise you in the name of Christ. Amen. We've been looking together at these words, these last words in Matthew's Gospel that Jesus said to his disciples. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And he continues and he says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Why baptism? Go under his authority can understand that. Go and make disciples. We looked at that last week, what a disciple really is, of all nations. And then we have to baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now Jesus is saying this, first of all, to all of his disciples. He's not saying it to the clergy. Therefore, go off to college, become ordained, and you can go and baptize them. He says it to all of us, doesn't he? Baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But what is baptism? Why are we supposed to baptize them? What's it all about? I heard about a man who was walking along, and he came along, uh, walking along a river, and there in the middle of the river with this guy holding a baptismal service in the afternoon. Dunking people under, lifting them up. And the man was intrigued, never seen anything quite like it. So he proceeded to walk down by the water. And then he he was wondering quite what was going on. So he got into the water and he went and stood next to the pastor who was there, dunking these other people. And the, the pastor turned to him and said, Mr, are you ready to find Jesus? And the man looked back and thought, well, nobody's ever asked me that before. But he said, yes, I think I am. So the pastor just grabbed him and pushed him under the water and lifted him up. And he said, have you found Jesus? No, I don't think I have yet, he says. So the pastor pushes him under again and holds him a little bit longer and then lets him up. And he says, now, have you found Jesus? No, I haven't found Jesus, he said to the pastor. And so the pastor gets him a third time and he pushes him under and he holds him under for about 30 seconds. Guys, his arms are going. And he lifts him back up and he says, have you found Jesus now? And the man's coughing and spluttering and wiping the water off his face. And he says, are you sure this is the place where Jesus fell in? (laughs) It is kind of strange baptism, isn't it? That we go and we take someone and we we dunk them underwater and we bring them back up. Or in our tradition, because we don't have a big tank, we sprinkle them. That's symbolism. It's kind of a strange thing to do. You don't think when you're in the shower or in the bath... And you're there and you soak there and you're going, oh, I'm being baptised. You don't think that, do you? You're just having a wash. So why, why do we look at this in a different way? 
What is it really all about? Well, in the Bible, in Jesus' day, baptism had three different purposes. If you've got your Bibles, just uh, probably on the same page, if it's my Bible, or flip over the page to Mark chapter 1. One of the kinds of baptism that we see around Jesus' time is what John the Baptist was doing. Mark chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. It says, And so John came baptizing in the desert region and preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John does this baptism as a symbol of repentance. So you've died to your old self and you come up as a new self. So you go right under the water as a symbol of what's happened. So first of all, there's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And then you show that by being baptized in the water. The Jews used to baptize people who were Gentiles and wanted to become Jews. One of the ways in which you would symbolize that change from being a Gentile and welcomed into the Jewish family was by baptism. The same way that we do in the church today when we take a baby or an adult or whoever and we baptize them and say welcome to the family. And in baptism we make a commitment to them as they make a commitment to us because they're brought into the family of God and the expression of that that is here at Trinity. That comes from the Jewish understanding or the Jewish way in which there was baptism. But there was also a baptism back in the high priest time. If you look back in Leviticus 8, we won't look at it right now, but in Leviticus 8 verse 6 and verse 12, Aaron, before he was initiated as the high priest, he was baptized in water. He was cleansed with water. And then he was able to do the ministry of being the high priest, representing the people. And in Hebrews 4.14, Jesus is our great high priest. And the reason he came and was baptized at the start of his ministry is the same picture as Aaron and his sons being baptized back in, in those days in Leviticus, as it's recorded. And in the same way, we are the priesthood of all believers in 1 Peter 2.5. We are not only baptized for the forgiveness of sins or baptized by welcoming us into the family of God, but baptized as we therefore become a priest along with one another. Each one of us has that priestly role to represent Christ to the people around us and to represent them to Christ. And so when Jesus said... Go therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. He's bringing all those concepts, all those different aspects of baptism into the minds of his disciples. But is he just saying therefore that when you have a disciple, when you have somebody that's on that journey, we should physically baptize them in water? Well I think the answer to that is yes and no. That's part of what we're being asked to do. But it goes deeper than that. Because to be baptized is to be kind of immersed, to be overwhelmed, to be fully identified with the thing that you're being baptized into. There is a baptism of repentance. 
not just the physical act of being washed in the water, but it's being, it's, it's coming out of that immersion in a change of heart and a change of lifestyle and a change of everything that leads to that kind of repentance. And we baptize, it says, in the name of the Father, the Son and the Spirit. In other words, in the authority, in the power and the authority of God. You know, on those old uh, police uh, programs, you used to get these people kind of, stop in the name of the law, didn't they? And they used to, and they expect people to just stop, you know? The robber would just keep on running while they were there going like this. But what does that mean? It means in the power and the, all the authority, in all the rules and the regulations, in everything that the law of the land brings, I'm ordering you to stop. Because I'm doing it on behalf of the nation, on behalf of the rules and regulations. And they're not mine. They are written down on our behalf and we all abide by them. And in the same way, he's saying you baptize in the authority, in the character, in the, to I fully identify with the Trinitarian God. I told you before, when I go away on holiday, I always like to do things I've never tried before. Try and eat food I've never eaten before. I think my son's getting that. He's in uh, Southeast Asia. He's told me last time he was eating scorpions. Not sure I really want to go that far. Apparently the stinger was cut off, so it was perfectly safe. Doesn't actually make it a whole lot more appetizing to me, but anyway. But I always try to do different things, and I had a chance one time I was on holiday to go scuba diving. It was a bit weird because I've got a serious allergy to fish. And on the uh, form you had to fill in, you had to put down all the allergies that you had. And I said fish and seafood. And the guy looked at that and goes, I says, all right, as long as I don't swim with my mouth open and they go in and I swallow them, I'll be all right. But when you're down there, one of the amazing things about the scuba diving is that you're kind of fully immersed with the fish. They're all around you. They come up and they hit your legs as you're swimming around. Because you're in a whole school of fish. You're like one with them. You're not there on the outside looking in. It's not like an aquarium where you're there perfectly dry and they're all there in the, in the tank. You're there swimming around. They're all around you. You don't really know where to look because everywhere you look, you've got fish. And sharks and goodness knows, eels and everything else that's around. You're there as one with them. And that's what baptism really is all about. When Jesus was saying, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son and Spirit. He's saying, I want you to encourage, to, to help one another become fully identifiable with me. With the Father, the Son and the Spirit. It's not just taking them. The, the physical act of baptizing them in water is, is a symbol of that. But it goes way, way deeper. It's saying, I want you to, to get them to that point where they are immersed in me, at one with me. So just as when you're diving in the water, you're there with everything else around you. You're not foreign and alien to it. The fish are not all ru- running away. Fish don't run. They're all swimming away. They're all there right around you, just treating you as part of the furniture, so to speak. That's how we are to be with Christ. That's what he's saying here. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, immersing them 
in the power, the authority, in the character of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Well, what does that kind of really look like? Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn to Colossians. One of these amazing passages in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3. We haven't got time to go into it in great detail. But Colossians 3, it's got rules for holy living is the little subtitle. Really, this is what that kind of baptism looks like. On you, on me, and on others around us. Colossians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And then you've got all the T's. What does it look like? Well, first of all, he says, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died with your life and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who was your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. First thing Paul says here, what does it look like, that baptism? Firstly, our focus, our heart seed of our emotions, our mind, all our thoughts are focused where? On the things above. Everything, in other words, is filtered with the lenses of God. You know, when you put glasses on, you kind of make certain things, you know, appear in focus and other things not. So when I put these on, I can read my Bible perfectly well and you guys are just a blur to me now. I can tell if you run out the door, but... That's about all. And it's like that. It's saying, get your glasses so that your your eyes, your focus is on God. So that everything is filtered through that perspective. So when you look at the news, do you think, I wonder what God thinks about this? You know, when you go out and you see things around you, I wonder what God thinks about this. When you're weighing up in the shops whether you should buy something or not, and you're looking at the price and thinking, should I, shouldn't I, is this a luxury, I don't really need it, should I get it or not? I wonder what God thinks about this. I wonder what God would want me to do in this situation. That's having that kind of heavenly filter. That throughout our day, we're constantly talking and sharing and listening to what God is trying to say to us. And having our focus there. Sometimes it's so easy just to to do a spiritual thing on a Sunday. The rest of the week is busy, 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 busy. Oh yeah, I've got to go to church on Sunday, so I'll come into church and then I'll, I'll switch my attention heavenward. But to be a baptized believer, to be a baptized disciple, means that our constantly, our, our focus is on Him. doesn't matter what we're doing. We're thinking about Him. And he's there right with us, journeying through life at every moment of every day. Set your focus, it says, your heart and your mind, everything. Filter it through the lens of God. And then he says, take off certain things. Put to death, therefore, what belongs to your earthly nature. Verse 5, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourself of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with his practices. 
And you put on your new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of the Creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. It says you need to put off your old self. Now when you put off something, you have to physically focus on doing that, don't you? You put to death something, you, you stop something, you have to do something about it. If you, if you want to go home and get out of your Sunday best, as I always do when I first get in, I go, I'm going to go change. Because I don't particularly feel comfortable wearing this 24-7. So when, I, when I'm not working here and I'm not leading services, I go home and immediately the first thing I do is I change. And I hang the suit back up and I have my shirts back up and I put on something a little bit more relaxing. You physically have to go and do something about it. It doesn't just happen. I can't just go and sit in the armchair with a cup of coffee and go, change. And it miraculously happens. It would be very nice if it did. But unfortunately, you have to go upstairs and hang it all back up again and go through it. It takes a consciousness to do it. And Paul is saying the same thing. You're not just naturally going to change. When you put something to death, you have to actually do something. You have to set your mind towards doing that. It's like Lent is coming. And in Lent, what do we do? Well, we give up bad habits. We have to consciously do something. Those that do it. Often we start thinking about the things we should give up and then we water it down to the things that wouldn't be too difficult to give up. Don't we? Because we all know that. that. That sounds a bit tricky. I'll, I'll go on this one. You know, I'll give up eating fish for Lent. You know. <laughs> then I can feel good. I haven't had any fish. But I haven't the whole year. So it's okay. We have to do something consciously to make it happen. And so we look at ourselves or we look at one another and we say, look, these are the things that I need to change. Lord, help me to change them. And I'm going to do something. I'm going to work out a way with your help where these things are going to change. They're not all going to change at once. And we might have to prioritize some of the things. But if we want to grow in Christ, that's what we need to do. We need to take things off. We need to change. And we need to be specific about what we're doing. This is the thing that I have trouble with. Then this is what I'm going to change first, Lord. Help me. Let me change things around. Move things around in my life. You know when you go into a a department store, like you go to Tesco's and that, you can always tell when there's a new manager in Tesco's. Every aisle has changed. It's the most irritating thing in the world, isn't it? You walk into the supermarket, you go to where your baked beans were, and they're no longer there. All of a sudden it's fresh fruit. And you go, fresh fruit was never there. Fresh fruit was there. What are they doing? There's a new manager. Everything must have changed. And so you go up and down completely lost for the next day and a half trying to find what you really want. Just as that changes, so we need to change in ourselves. We sometimes need to move things around in ourselves to put off the old self. But then when we've done that, look at what it says. Therefore, verse 12, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. 
Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It says the second thing we've got to do is to put on. You, you move things around so you can remove these things, these habits that are not of God. But then we have to consciously too change our clothes, put on new clothes of godly characteristics. We make forgiveness a kind of way of life. Forgiveness is always a choice. You can choose to forgive or not to forgive. And so he's saying, make forgiveness that choice. Whatever people do, I choose to forgive you. Whether they forgive you back or not. saying, make forgiveness. Why? Because the Lord has forgiven us so much. Exercise love. Love provides the context The energy, the motivation, where all these characters, all these traits within us, the compassion, the kindness, humility and gentleness and patience, that's the ground under which they all flourish. So we surround everything with love. When we go and make disciples, when we go and share Jesus Christ, we do it with love. Love is the thing that wanting the best for someone else is the motivation. Peace should be in our hearts. Why? Because we trust. Peace comes from trust, doesn't it? People ask me about Josiah going out to uh, Thailand and that. Aren't you worried? And I said, no. Why would I be worried? I'm not worried because I trust God and I ask God to protect him. And I trust him as an individual. So I'm not worried if he's in another part of the world because I know my son and I know what he does and what he doesn't do. I know where, where he, his limits are on certain things. I know him and therefore I trust him. And so I'm there excited about all the experiences that he's having. But I trust him as an individual. So I don't need to worry. It's when you don't trust you start to worry. It's when you don't trust the peace no longer is there. When you're not sure... When you start a question and those things come into your mind, that's when peace takes flight. But we can have the peace of God because we can trust God in everything that we do. And we trust one another as one body. Fill your hearts, fill your lives with the word of God. We'll talk about that next week as we continue our thoughts in Matthew's gospel. And do everything, he says, in Jesus' strength. For his glory. Whatever you do, he says at the end, verse 17, whether in word or do you do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, in the power and the authority of Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God through him. So back to Matthew 28. Jesus said, Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. What's he really saying? 
He's saying, I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to go and train people up, help them to grow. How? By immersing them, encouraging them to be immersed in the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. By all means, do the outward physical baptism. That's part of it. But that is just the start. That is just the, the starting pistol of working out that baptism in their lives. We can't just go out say we're going to make disciples, baptize them, welcome into membership in the church, job done. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's saying you have a responsibility to one another. And just as we looked at those verses, and I would encourage you to go home this afternoon or sometime this week to read through carefully what it says in Colossians 1. Read it and think about your own life and those characteristics in your life. And just as you have a responsibility to work out that baptism in you, so we have a responsibility, Jesus says, to encourage it in one another too. So my responsibility is to Marion and encouraging Marion in her baptism, in her spiritual growth, in those characteristics, in helping her to take off the things that need taking out of her life and clothing into her life those godly characteristics. And Marion has that same responsibility for me. We have it for one another as the kingdom, as the family of God. And just as I do for Marion, Marion does for me, so Marion does for Bill, and Bill does for Marion, and, and so it continues right around the family together. We have that responsibility. It's not just me and Jesus, doesn't matter about the rest of you. It's us together as the family of God. How will you know that you're a disciple? By the love you share. How will you demonstrate that love? By immersing one another, encouraging one another in the baptism of Jesus Christ and of the Father and the Son. Do you see what Jesus is saying? How do we start? Well, as I said, go and pray. Say, Lord, as I read through Colossians chapter 1, show me the things that you need to change within my life. Out of all those characteristics that are, are there, the negative ones that I need to remove, the positive ones that I need to grow, Lord, show me where you want me to start or where you want me to carry on. What is it this year that you want me to focus on? Where is it that you want to grow or to transform and change within me? What is it you want me to do? Listen. Try and listen to what God is saying to you. Try and listen to what your heart says to you as you read it through a few times. One or two of those characteristics may jump out at you and say, actually, maybe this is what God is saying to me right now. If not, maybe go to a Christian brother or sister and say, look, which of these do you think? What, what, what do you think? Which of those do you think should change within me for me to grow closer to Jesus Christ? Because I want to be immersed with him. I want to go scuba diving with Jesus. I want to be, have God all around me. So that I may one day say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, just as Jesus could say. Ask God. Ask somebody you trust. 
who can help you and maybe journey with you and you with them in encouraging one another as we grow in our baptism of Christ. All authority has been given. So remember that the power of God's Spirit is with us, helping us, transforming us. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, baptizing them. And just as we need to do that for one another, so he's saying we need to do it for our community around us. As we go and share Jesus Christ, as people come and receive Christ, then our responsibility is not just to continue to share, but to continue to help them to work out that baptism as they grow in their knowledge, their love, and the character of Christ within them. I heard about a uh, Danish guy called Edward Bock. Lived a long time ago. And the king of Denmark came to him and he said, I want you to go out and to rid this area along the coast of Denmark that was riddled with pirates. And so this guy went out and he set up his little camp with his, uh, with his soldiers and his, his sailors and so on this, on this little island. There's nothing there, just a rock. But that's where he it was strategic and he said, I'm going to set my camp up here. And for a few years, they waged war against the pirates until finally they managed to defeat all of the pirates and clear up the coast. And it was safe for everybody to travel again. He then was summoned back to see the king of Denmark. And the king was so delighted with him, he said, I'm going to give you whatever you want. What is it you would like? He said, I'd like that little island that I've been living on for the last three or four years. And the king said, it's just a rock. There's nothing there. You had to ship everything in. There's nothing there. Surely you want something better than that little rock that's just stuck out there in that inlet. And he said, no, that's what I want. And they said, but like the waves just crash over it and nothing grows there. It's just a rock. Surely I can give you something more significant. And Bok said, that is the thing that I would like above everything else. And the king's aide said, well, this guy's completely crazy. Just give it to him. And so they gave him this rock. And he went back to that rock and he carried on working there day in and day out. And when he got it ready enough, he brought his wife and his family over to that rock. And he carried working and working and working, breaking the rock up, bringing in soil, working day and night. Eventually, things started to grow. And after a while, trees started to be planted and they would take root and they started to grow as well. And finally, after many years of hard work, birds and other things started to come to the island. He could see in that place the potential of what was there. What was possible if he just set his mind to it. To transform a place that was dead and barren into something that is beautiful. When he finally died, he had inscribed on his tombstone these words. Make you the world a bit more beautiful and better. Because you have been on it. He did that for that little rock. Christ is doing that for you and for me through his spirit.
And he asks us to engage in that same process as we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Amen.